It's time for JT the Brick. I am JT the Brick, focused black hole, getting in there, ready to rock. I got my A game. I've been there with the Raider Nation in the black hole. I've been in this rivalry. I've seen it in my 24 years here. It's a do or die game. Can't let them win in Vegas. Protect the house. Protect the Legion Stadium. Be ready to go. No half-ass effort. You don't need a PhD. You don't need some expert on CNN or Fox News teaching you about fandom. I just told you. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll right now, so let me go. Hey, JT. Yes. I love you, and I love your show. Thank you. That's what the Raiders are based on. Al Davis, the history of the Raiders. They were always banged up. They were always taped up. They had blood coming through their helmets, and they played the 11 angry men. I'm not encouraging injuries. I'm encouraging violence. So that's where we are, Raider Nation. Simply put, man up and play football and win a game. And now, that's a hell of a motivational speech. Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate on a Friday, JT from home today on the main streets of downtown Summerlin as we get rolling, coming off the Aviators game last night and the Pacific Division champions, the Vegas Golden Knights, the number one seed in the West. What a night last night. What a night. Congratulations to our partners over at the Golden Knights for a victory, a much-needed victory up in Seattle. And now the number one seed out West. Uh, next goal is to win the Western Conference, win the Western Conference Finals, and prepare for a Stanley Cup run, most likely against Boston, but you never know. And welcome in on a Friday. Really excited about that. Hope the city enjoyed it. I'll tell you about my night quickly. Next hour, I've got a busy first hour. Zig Fercasi will join us, my long-term, uh, long-time friend at Mad Dog Sports Radio. We'll talk to him about the Knights and the NFL Draft. He'll join us sometime about 40 after the hour. And I'm pretty wide open in the first hour. On Friday, we're usually booked up in the second hour. So if you'd like to get in, uh, get in right now at 702-365-9200. I want to begin the show with the tweet. I want to thank the Rochester, New York Raider Nation Booster Club. They just sent me two beautiful shirts that I'm tweeting out right now. So I want to thank them. And a quick reminder, if you're in a Raiders Booster Club and you have Raiders gear, I would love an extra large t-shirt. And I wear them on game day. Wear them in the tailgate party. Well, wear them uh, at the torch doing that. So uh, just call Bobby. He'll give you the station address. And if you got some cool Raider t-shirts I love it. I collect it. I have a lot of them over the years and uh, love to represent your part of the country. As I just tweeted it out at JT the Brick, a really cool T-shirt. Raider Nation, Rochester, New York, the 585. I went to Geneseo State University right down the road from Rochester, New York, where my buddy Roxy listens every day. And I'm excited. So thanks for the gear. Made my day. My weekend's already been made. My wife just took off. I got the hall pass. She went back to Oklahoma for a mom's weekend to see my son before he graduates. And uh, my other kids at Arizona State, I'm going to do some golfing. I'm going to have my bucket of Modellos in a little over two hours and get ready for a good weekend here. Vegas, the Golden Knights play Tuesday and Thursday. The draw is against Winnipeg. Uh, Talking to a source high up, high up in the VGK world, they said the only chance Winnipeg has is to really get physical on the Golden Knights. I'm talking about putting their hands in their face, going after the little guys, Marcia So and Carlson, trying to pick fights. They're a big physical team. Vegas should be able to skate by them and score some goals. And got to win both. Got to win the two home games at the Fortress to start it off. 
The goal would be to put Winnipeg down early in four or five, and it's hard to get a sweep in hockey, and then wait on the winner of the Kings and the Oilers, most likely the Oilers, and that's going to be an incredible matchup on our side of the bracket there. How you feeling about this, everybody? If you went and watched the Golden Knights last night, watched it on TV at some of the viewing parties. We've been telling you about PTs, their proud partner, best happy hour in town. Maybe you went to one of the 64 new PTs, the new one, Durango and Flamingo, the PTs gold. They fuel the monologue for the Pacific Division champs. Now, I'll tie this into the Raiders as much as I can. I will. Last year, the Vegas Golden Knights did not make the playoffs. I repeat, they didn't make the playoffs with two wild card spots open. That's hard to do. And now this year, they won the Pacific. Get that, Raider Nation? It could happen like that. We saw it with the Cincinnati Bengals, with Joe Burrow and how they went from four wins to two back-to-back AFC championship games and a Super Bowl. You can do it. You really can. But you need the quarterback. Raiders got that with Jimmy G. You need a couple of stars. Raiders have that with Mad Max Crosby and Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. But now Dave Ziggler's got to fill in some holes. And the holes are less than what they were a month ago. You know, we got an elite special teams wide receiver, which is an impact player, so we don't have to worry about Hunter taking back punts and kicks if DeAndre Carter's going to be able to do that at the best in the league. And the Raiders went out and got a couple of players there who are going to start. Spillane, the linebacker out of Pittsburgh. Let me remind you, he's going to start. They went out and got him to start. So he's penciled in as a starter, not a maybe. And we know that Marcus Epps, who played 20 games last year, all 17 for the Eagles in the regular season and the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. Marcus Epps played 20 games last year. Here's your starting safety. Now, what safety position? I don't know. They, they could rotate three safeties. Trayvon Merrick. You know, you could look at the other one, Johnson, that they brought in. You know, you can figure out who you want to put in there in some type of rotation. Usually you'll have two safeties, Atkinson and Tatum, and you don't touch them. You let them play together and build chemistry. The Raiders could have a rotation, but Epps will be the leader. He'll be the best player they have. And Trayvon Merrick, I mean, this season's put up and shut up time for him. Good player, good guy, but he's got to take his game to the next level. Nate Hobbs, I've talked a lot about here over the last couple of weeks. What happens if Nate Hobbs develops into a perennial close-to pro bowler? He's got the size. He's gifted as an athlete. He can cover, but he didn't play elite last year. That concerned me a bit. Okay, the hand injury, he was banged up a bunch. He's good now. He's got to be great. He's got to be penciled in. If you want to punt, uh, pencil Nate Hobbs in at slot corner, you can do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pencil him in at cornerback, which is one of the two that can start on the outside and obviously play the slot. But he's got to be able to play because they were able to bring in David Long Jr. and Duke Shelley, who are supposed to get some significant time. And then the rest of the guys are going to compete to make the roster because I think they're going to have to compete to make the roster because I have Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback out of Oregon, going number seven overall. That'll be the first pick for the Raiders. And if they want to go in a different direction, go for it. But I'm going to pencil that one in leading up to the draft coming up here. So that's where I stand. Defense, defense, and more defense as we begin today. You know, the same topic today that I've been running with all week, and there's not any breaking news in the NFL other than the Washington Commanders being sold. I said this again. I was on a couple of texts this morning with people close to the story because they know I'm close to the story. So I'm on a group text with a couple of people that are really high up, and they include me because you can connect the dots from Bruce Allen 
to John Gruden, to Mark Davis, to how this affected the Raiders, the Gruden emails, Bruce Allen, the guy who hired me at the Raiders, all the way up to Dan Snyder. I'll put myself up against anybody in the NFL media world on this story. And I think Snyder's not going to go yet. I still think Snyder's got one more trick up his sleeve. I think that Snyder is going to throw some gasoline on this fire. I don't think he wants to sell the team. I don't. I think he wants his problem to go away and he wants to hold it because he's a Washington Redskin when he was bought the team. He was a Redskin fan, fanatic, and he doesn't want to lose that in his life. So he's got a deal for over $6 billion from the owner of the Sixers to go do this deal. So the money seems to be legit. The money seems to be firm. Uh, The owners know that this is a good ownership group potentially coming in. I just have a feeling that there's one more hiccup to this story. And I think the hiccup to the story is Snyder's going to stall and Snyder is going to make it difficult. I also believe, uh, from knowing this story pretty good, that Snyder's got some information on other people around the NFL. I do. I think that's why this whole house of cards is on the edge of going down, and it's such a big story, and you know, people are sitting and testifying in front of Congress because I think that Snyder has hired many private investigators to get information on the league. And I'm not saying exactly who that could be, But he's definitely done that, and everybody knows that. So he has that in his arsenal, in his treasure trove, to throw at that issue if he wants to do that. So this is a pretty ugly situation coming up here. I'd like to see Snyder go away, new ownership. That's a proud franchise, man. That franchise is very similar to the Raiders. From the Redskins days to the Commanders, they have a lot of success. They have three Super Bowl victories, like the Raiders, tied with them, and have been in some big games. And I know a lot of former players there. Good franchise. They want to get back on track. So that's one of the stories I wanted to fit here into the monologue as we begin. Another interesting story involves Josh Jacobs, and it's good. There's not a lot of talk on NFL Network and around the league about Josh Jacobs holding out, and nor would I get involved in this. I'm not going to tell him to do anything. Josh Jacobs is going to make up his mind. But the elite story coming out of the NFL now is about Saquon Barkley not being happy. So Saquon Barkley does not want to play on that tag from the Giants, which is the exact same tag that Josh Jacobs got. He doesn't want to do that. So as we mentioned that yesterday, all the debate shows led with that today in football. The Giants designated Barkley as their franchise player last month and have continued contract negotiations with the former number two pick overall. Same thing as Josh Jacobs. And John Mara, the owner of the Giants, he always likes to go on record for his players. Last month, he said, quote, he hoped to reach a long-term deal and wants Barkley to be a giant for the remainder of his career. I've heard similar things from Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. They like Josh Jacobs. It's about business. And even the great Raider fans and the ones who don't want to really dive into the weeds of business know that the Giants don't want to sign Barkley to a long-term deal. They don't want to because they don't think his market value going forward is going to warrant that money. I don't know about that. Saquon Barkley's a pretty good player. I mean, one of the best players. Just taking number two overall. Josh Jacobs wasn't. And he could go up there and catch the ball and make a lot of plays. But Josh ran for more yards than him. So Barkley reportedly declined the team's offer last November for a deal worth approximately $12 million a year. So what could happen here is pretty simple. Either he's not going to show up for camp and the OTAs until he gets a new contract, or he's going to show up at the last second. Uh, That's what happens with these guys. For a running back last year, if you recall, Josh Jacobs played in the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio. And some people were speculating in the press box, oh, my God, they're shopping him. They're going to trade him. They didn't trade him, and he had the best year ever. 
So I don't know what's going to happen with the deal for Barkley and Josh Jacobs, but no one's talking about Josh on NFL Network and these other channels. They're only talking about Barkley, and both of their contracts are pretty identical. You know, they Barkley played a full season in 2022 for the first time since his rookie year in 2018 when he finished fourth in the NFL in rushing with 1,312 rushing yards. Okay, so if you look at what he's been able to do, this guy now is not Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs is a hell of a player. Barkley's been injured more, so he got a comeback player of the year award. And I think he's a little bit better than Josh when it comes to all-purpose yards because I think he's better in the passing game. I was always told Josh Jacobs was going to be great in the passing game, but the Raiders don't seem to use him at that level. Gruden or so far, we haven't seen that with Coach McDaniels where he's getting the ball a lot in the passing game. They want to run him downhill and make him be a hard runner. And I'm okay with that. As I continue to tell our audience, we have a new audience every day. New people are jumping on. We're seeing our streaming numbers that I'm now pivoting to Josh Jacobs where I didn't before. I don't owe anybody an apology. I always thought he was a good player. But now it's at the point where he has to be the focus of another season of 1,600, 1,650, 1,700 yards, whatever it's going to be. We had the best receiver in football, arguably, and the runner who led the entire NFL in rushing. How could you not win with that? Have you been hearing me preach from this pulpit the entire offseason? You have Devontae Adams on offense and Josh Jacobs who led the league in rushing. Jimmy Garoppolo, a well-thought-out leader and a winner. How can you not win on offense with Devontae and Josh Jacobs? Explain it to me. The only explanation you can have is, well, the blocking isn't perfect. Well, they led the league in rushing. They're pretty good on the ground. They got Colton Miller. They're pretty good. Pass protection, you'd be correct. I don't think Devontae has enough time to get open a lot because the offensive line is getting bull rushed on the right side as we have swing tackle after swing tackle who's not a pro bowler and not even as good as Colt Miller. That's got to get better. Could it get better in the draft? Hell yeah. So this offense has a motor. And in the motor, you have Josh Jacobs, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Devontae Adams. You take those three and put them up against anyone. You know why you can? Because when Jimmy Garoppolo played in San Francisco, he really didn't. He played in Santa Clara. When he did there, he had Debo Samuels. He had a good running back or two. Mostert was a good player. They could run the ball. They had great fullback in USEC. And they had, you know, Ayuk at receiver. And they had George Kittle. They had George Kittle. So follow me there. They had Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle. And then they had a really good player in Debo Samuels. That's their engine, right? Well, that engine was going to the NFC Championship game, the Super Bowl. Well, the engine is here. It's very similar. The problem is the 49ers have a much more elite defense. And Nick Bosa, who's the defensive player of the year, Mad Max isn't far behind him. You know, I'll give Nick Bosa ahead of Mad Max for obvious reasons, the trophy. I think Mad Max is on his ass. I know that Mad Max is better than Joey Bosa. And when Joey Bosa came into the league, he was thought to be a Tarzan. And then all of a sudden, Mad Max comes in in the fourth round, and he's better than Joey Bosa. So the engine of this Raiders offense should be pretty strong going forward. And the offense, I think, has the ability to be, I don't want to throw out the word elite. I don't, because there's not many elite offenses out there. Uh, You've got to give it to Kansas City because over here, around here, we haven't been able to stop one guy, Travis Kelsey. And we know that Tyreek Hill is gone. So when you see who's here and who's left, Kansas City, Tyreek, Tyreek Hill's gone, and there's no debate on the fact that there's clearly an aging process going on in Kansas City other than Mahomes. 
Then you got the Chargers who are young with Justin Herbert, who I think is elite. He's not good. He's elite. And then they got Austin Eckler, who doesn't want to play there anymore because they're, they're disrespecting him and not paying him. And he's trying to get them. And Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are never available. Everybody talks about how great they are. The Raiders dodged a bullet with those two guys because Mike Williams and Keenan Allen could have kicked the Las Vegas Raiders' ass up and down the field, and one of them was never available every time we played them. Man, did we dodge a bullet with that, with another guy named Derwin James. Every, oh, he's the best safety in the league. Every time I go to a game, he's not available, right? He's not available. He's hurt. The Raiders dodged a bullet early with this Charger team. The Charger team's window has not closed completely because they got Boy Blunder in a head coach, but they got Herbert, and I compare Herbert equally to John Elway at this stage of his career. Elway's better. Don't take this out of context. Herbert has the ability to play there. He could be a nightmare for Las Vegas and the Raiders if they build around him better. But for whatever reason, the Chargers are always hurt, and guys are never available to play. One of these years, they're going to get it right. And this past year, they got in, and they had a 27-point lead in Jacksonville, and they lost it. That is a scar that could become a nasty wound if it doesn't heal correctly, and I don't want it to heal correctly. And then we have the Denver Broncos in the AFC West with Sean Payton. And I, I, have, I have a unique take on this. Please listen to me on it. I think Sean Payton's in the same boat that Josh McDaniels is in. And let me explain. Josh McDaniels came to the Raiders to become head coach, and he only knew so much about the team. What could he have known? He's busy. You know, he's busy running the offense for the Patriots. So him and Dave Ziegler finally come out here, and they spend a couple of days with the Raiders, and they take the job. Why wouldn't you? You got a head coaching offer. On, on paper, millions more than he's making to be a head coach. Same for Dave Ziegler, who's not a starting GM. He's building towards that. They get the job. Then they get into the building, and they start meeting everybody, and they're getting along, obviously, with everybody. And then they go out, and they start looking at film, more in-depth film than just a lot of film they had to look, on, look at for that Mark Davis interview. And then when they got in the building, they looked around, and they said, no, 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 no. We cannot go forward with this roster. I know you won 10 games, all the best to everybody else, great job. We hope to win 10 or 11 too, but not with this. So they started deconstructing the roster, took it down, they lost. They should have won maybe 9, 10 games or 8 at least. The five second-half blown leads took it down to six wins. No excuse. Everybody failed. That's why people are gone on the roster and coaches and other people are coming in. Very similar to what I think Denver's going through now. I think Sean Payton... He even leaked it out at the owner's meeting. When he looked at the tape, it was ugly. It was ugly in Denver. And it was mostly Russell Wilson. He was ugly. He couldn't run the plays. I think Sean Payton took the job because new ownership paid him all that money. The only other job opening that he could have had easily was the Chargers, but that's the B team to the Rams. Sean Payton doesn't want to do that. And the Dallas Cowboy job, I thought that Sean Payton would get that if they fired Mike McCarthy, but Mike McCarthy won a playoff game. So Mike McCarthy kept his job. So Sean Payton didn't want to sit out and do another year at Fox, so he took the Denver job. And he's in there now, and I think it's very similar to the Raiders. He's looking at the roster going, man, I might have took on a little bit more than I thought. This is not a very good roster. You know, I heard JT the Brick say a year ago when other national hosts were picking Denver to go to the AFC championship game, I remember hearing JT the Brick at night saying, what are you talking about? That roster isn't very good. I was right. The national media was wrong on that. Denver was highly overrated because they had to give up a lot to get Russell Wilson. 
not only draft picks, but some of their good defensive players. Now Sean Payton's got to come in here and do exactly what Dave Ziegler did. Deconstruct the roster in Denver while trying to recruit better players. And I thought they had a pretty good year in free agency. McGlinchey, they, got, they upgraded the offensive line to help out Russell Wilson. But their roster is not much better than the Raiders. It's similar. Their quarterback needs to be fixed. And if Russell Wilson gets back to 90% of Russell Wilson, we got our hands full with Mahomes, Herbert, and Russell Wilson. That's why we got Jimmy G. If you walk those four quarterbacks into a room, four of them walk into the room, no one's looking at Jimmy Garoppolo going, oh, we're all better than him. No, Jimmy Garoppolo's looking to his left saying, I've had better games and bigger games than you guys had other than Mahomes, and I played Mahomes in the Super Bowl toe-to-toe. So we got the guy. And that leads me to the quarterback position and what's going to happen coming up here in this draft. Do the Raiders have the balls and the ability to go take a quarterback when they need a lot of defensive players? More and more of the national media believe they will. A lot of people in the national media say if a quarterback is there at seven, which is one of these four, they'll take the last one, which will be Will Levis. There's a new mock draft out today that has Anthony Richardson going number one. I couldn't believe it. I almost fell off my chair. Number one. So the run to get these four quarterbacks are going to be one, two, three, four, because Arizona is going to trade that third pick to someone who wants a quarterback. The only two people behind one and two, which would be Carolina and Houston, who can trade up to get a quarterback and make it happen, most likely, is Indy going from four to three, and they would give up there. They just swap those picks and give up a second-round pick, or the Raiders going from seven to three. They'd give up the seventh pick, obviously, and then their early second-round pick, which, to me, they'd get a quarterback, And they wouldn't have a first or second round pick to even start rebuilding their defense. That's not my call, but I wouldn't do that. I need two defenders. I need two defenders early. My ideal situation, which I will bring as I anchor the Raiders draft, my my opinion will be to draft two defensive players in the first round. How about that on a Friday before my bucket of Modellos? How about that? Did you not hear me? I'll take the best defensive player at seven, and then I'll trade up with a couple of twos and threes, and I'll move back into the first round, and I'll get another defender, a defensive tackle, and then I'll spike the ball in the end zone at Allegiant. Got two elite starters on defense, and I had to use two first-rounders to get there, and it was no problem moving up from a high second late to the first to get that other first-round pick. That's what I'm going with. So that's breaking news. Put that on some pop-up YouTube Raider show. I am saying, take it from me. I'm putting my name on it. I believe you go up into the first round with your second pick. You go, bam, bam, Raider defense rebuilt. And then I can go back to the wall of Game of Thrones and beat down all these Denver Charger and Kansas City fans and say, really? You want to go? We just got two starters in the first round. And no, we didn't get the quarterback. And we didn't get the offensive tackle. We went defense 1-2. It's a right and it's a left to the gut. And you're right back in it. Then you got Spillane. You got Epps. You got Nate Hobbs. You got Mad Max Chandler Jones. I got you the defensive tackle because I traded out of the second into the first. And then I got you the starting cornerback because I stayed at seven and took him. You find me a better plan than that. I love that plan. Go defense and get this ship back on track. And then go to Patrick Graham and say, Mr. Graham, we just reloaded your defense. 
We have so many guys that we brought in, we can't even count them anymore. Go use something and go get these guys to play. Take them out of the high 20s and put us into the 14th, 15th best defense in football. Is that a reach? No, it's my dream. That's what I'd like to see happen. If it doesn't happen, I'll go right into the building, high-five everybody and say, your plan's more important than mine. Tell me where to get in line to push the shed. I'm with you. That's what I do. The monologue brought to you by Golden Entertainment. They own the Strat, which is unbelievable. Arizona Charlies and 64-plus taverns that partner with us heading into the NFL Draft and the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm standing in my home studio. I'm looking at one of my Vegas Golden Knights pieces of memorabilia, and I'm excited here that they won the Pacific and they're the leader in the West. Zig Fercasi will join me in about 10 minutes. I like to get a good leadoff hitter, a good phone call. If they're not available, I don't need them. You just heard me talk. I don't need them, but I like a good leadoff hitter at 702-365-9200. Do you like my plan to take the second-round pick and use other assets and go into the first round and get the second first-rounder? That's my topic here in the first hour, 702-365-9200. Zig Fricasi coming up here in a little bit. The weekend is here, and the Pacific Division champs reign in Vegas. But all that does is get you a banner that says Pacific Division Champs. I don't want that banner. I want a Stanley Cup banner in Las Vegas. Larson for Dunn. Smith got a piece of it. He scores! Riley Smith gets Vegas on the board. It was not even a shot, but it'll count as a goal. one nothing Knights halfway through the first period. It was a good game last night, a very intense game. You know, the Seattle Kraken would come out and try to send a message. They have a wild card, but they just lost. They lost back-to-back games to Vegas, so they wanted to prove they could beat Vegas. Remember, the other night, uh, last Friday night, man, I guess it was a week ago today, Sacramento played the Warriors. In Sacramento, sat Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, and I lost my mind. My head popped. I said, what the hell is this all about? And then Sacramento fans on Twitter started threatening me. Well, we have the right to rest. Oh, really? You have the right to rest to a four-time, defend, a four-time champion in the Warriors in your building to help the Warriors have a better seed than the Lakers? And what, do you want to play them instead of the Lakers? Whatever it was, Sacramento Kings. They bit back at me and said, we can do whatever we want. We're the three seed. We, we can sit and rest our players. Well, Seattle didn't do that. Seattle last night was in the playoffs as a wild card. They didn't sit their team and their best players. They played hard. They lost. That's the difference between the NBA and the NHL. Now, baseball players rest too, but not early. You know, my buddy said the other day, he was going to an Angels game, a getaway day, and he was worried if Trout and Otani would play because they played the night before. I said, what? Otani could be a DH or just hit. He's not going to pitch. And Trout, Trout's missed so many games the last couple of years, he should never sit out the rest of his life. He played in the World Baseball Classic. He shouldn't sit out an Angels game. So baseball, it's kind of mixed feelings about that. But hockey players never sit unless they're injured. Football players pretty much play all the time. They do. The issue we've been talking about here and debating lightly is when can you come back from an injury? When could Waller have come back? When should he have come back? Would that have helped them stay here? You better believe that's a big topic. 
I love Darren Waller. I'd say it to his face. Part of the reason he's not here isn't because of his skill set and the, the enormous numbers he's put up here and the contract he's got. They just want more availability. And in the NBA, you don't have to be available until the playoffs. So we've seen a couple of these playoff games in the NBA, the play-in tournament, and everybody's playing like it's life and death. Chicago comes back and beats Toronto. They were down 19. Well, why did they finish? Because Billy Donovan, the coach, said, look, guys, we lose. We're going to Cancun. We're done. Do me a favor and play your ass off, and maybe we can come back. And they did. Right? The Lakers, they were playing the Wolves. The Wolves just fell apart. Their coach let all their big guys shoot three-pointers with a 10-point lead. The Lakers got back into that game. The Lakers won. Now, the Lakers are a seventh seed, and the Lakers are going to go up against a pretty good team in Memphis, a Memphis team that talks a lot of trash, a Memphis team that always tells you how good they are, and they've never won squat. So what I love about sports and the debates that are going forward is really going to help me at this stage of my career is that we're now going back to the softness of society. We're going to the weak underbelly of society. How many days can I have off? Can I work from home? Can I be a hybrid? Can I call in sick? All the things I've never done because my father told me at a young age, this is how your grandfather emigrated on a boat and left his wife, your grandmother at home until he could build a little money to bring her over on a boat and immigrate to this country. He worked seven days a week. Now, I'm not in a hard business. There's no physical labor here, but I like to think my energy level makes up for that. And what I'm seeing in sports now is the decay, the decay of the work ethic that I grew up with in sports. You know, Reggie Jackson, we played that, reached out to me the other night, called into my show. He listens a lot and he calls in and he picked me, one of five guys to sit down and do a long, long interview with him, which we're about to do. We're trying to set up the exact time. And, you know, Reggie never missed games unless he was hurt. And then after his MVP year, Charlie Finley, the owner of the A's, sits down and goes, but Reggie, there were three games you weren't available. They play 162, and Reggie played in pretty much all of them except for three, and he goes, but Reggie, there were three games where you weren't available, where we didn't have you. (laughs) Okay, might have been hurt. I don't know what it was. I think he was hurt. Now, NBA players, they get to rest before the playoffs. The great news today is the Dallas Mavericks. I think the Mavericks are in a lot of trouble. This is a big story that not a lot of people are talking about. What's happening with the uh, Mavericks is they got nailed for load management. And Adrian Wojnarowski and all the big guys in sports reported it today on the NBA side that this is a severe, severe story. The Dallas Mavericks decision, and this is from Joe Dumars. Remember him, the great player from the Pistons, now with the NBA? Here's the quote. The Dallas Mavericks decision to restrict key players from fully participating in an elimination game last Friday against Chicago undermined the integrity of our sport. The Mavericks' actions failed our fans in our league. The Mavericks have been fined $750,000 as a result of this NBA investigation. That comes from the NBA. What the hell took so long? These guys are tanking every night. So they got fined almost a million dollars because they didn't go all out. Dallas was out of it, but Chicago wasn't. And Dallas didn't play their players, which is an integrity issue. It's also a gambling issue gambling people are betting now and this only now happens in the nba and the nba it took the nba till the last bleep in game of the year to to drop a big fine on load management why because they think it's the lights more glaring it was a playoff opportunity for the bulls it meant something more 
Well, I fight back and say, no, game number eight, number 16, number 35 means just the same as a game at the end of the year. It's just the optics changed. See, the optics change when your team makes the playoffs. When the Raiders made the playoffs uh, two seasons ago at 10 wins and had the ball first and goal at the nine at Cincinnati, the optics changed. The Raiders made the playoffs. The Raiders made the playoffs. No, they didn't win a playoff game. They made the playoffs, but Derek Carr never won a playoff game. The reason why Derek Carr is not here is not because he isn't a man of faith, a great husband, and a very good quarterback. He never won a playoff game. Jimmy G's won four. There's got to be people now in the building, and the Patriots guys who are in here are used to winning all the time. They want to get guys who they believe have the vision to win more and are comfortable getting to the finish line and winning. And that's the optics we see in all sports and what we're seeing tonight. Everything that's happening as we speak comes down to effort and making the playoffs. So the NBA is in the playoffs as we speak, but it doesn't seem to feel like the teams that missed the playoffs care. And the teams that are playing in these playoff games know they have no chance to win, so they're going to pretend that they care. And the teams that are really going to play their hardest are the teams that are really going to go out of their way to go crazy hard here in the next couple of weeks and try to win it. And those are the best teams as always. The best teams as always are the teams that always want to go out and win all the time and play at 100%. That's Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's Joel Embiid when he's not injured. Uh, Kevin Durant, I don't know what to tell you about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's the type of guy that from time to time he should play, but he waits till the very end to come back from an injury. I mean, Durant's like a China doll. Durant gets hurt. He's not coming back in a week. He's coming back in three weeks. But a lot of those guys, they know. And then the Zion Williamson story this week was just enormous. The fact that he was dunking in pregame. I spent a lot of time this week talking about that story that he was dunking during pregame of an elimination game and then went to the locker room and decided to take a shower and put his street clothes on, wasn't there to give his team 15 or 20 minutes. That was despicable to me, and I really think that's going to affect his brand long, long term because he just showed you his true self. Zion Williamson could have played, could have started. The crowd would have been electric. They would have introduced him last. He would have came out of the tunnel. Everybody would have went crazy. And the next thing you know, we're talking about him. And now what are we talking about? New Orleans being eliminated. One more thing before we wait for our guest who will be with us in a second. I think that New Orleans, I believe that, put my name on this too, I think the New Orleans Pelicans or the Minnesota Timberwolves will move to Las Vegas and be the Las Vegas team. I think expansion is too far off. I know the powers that be behind the scenes trying to bring the NBA to Las Vegas. Alex Rodriguez is part owner. He's a diva. He's a knucklehead. He's a little bit off. He's part of that Wolves team. I think the Wolves have had plenty of time to be successful. They're not. And I think what you want to do is find a way to move. The Wolves are the Pelicans. The Pelicans will not work in New Orleans. It's a football town. So we'll talk about that maybe next week. Zig Fricasi joins us from SiriusXM, my long-term radio friend and brother. Zig, welcome into radio in a town that has the Pacific Division champs, the Golden Knights. How are you, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing great. I know you're a buzz with that, my friend. You know why I'm a buzz with it? They didn't make the playoffs. Robin Leonard had some issues. Mark Stone's been gone all year. They didn't make the playoffs, so everyone said, you know, the next year, let's get in. Let's get back into the playoffs. And Mr. Foley said, no, whatever you need, I'll go get it. They were excellent at the trade deadline. They brought in some new bodies. And now with Stone hopefully coming back in a couple of weeks or before that, 
their, their, their snipers are scoring and they're getting good goaltending. Tell us how you saw it back east. I know you're big with the Bruins. What does it look like with Vegas and how they peaked at the right time? Well, you got that access, uh, don't you? Especially with uh, Bruce Cassidy, who I, I think's done a wonderful job in his first year as Vegas head coach. And the thing about it, JT, just from uh, what I've been able to catch this year, you obviously you referenced the stone injury, which was very big. You know, not having Jack Eichel in the lineup, yet they were able to persevere. And then the goaltending shuffle, at, it was like four or five different goalies. And they've been lucky that Jonathan Quick started to look a little more like the vintage Jonathan Quick that really helped them out. So uh, the fact that now that they rounded out the season well, I liked what they saw last night in the game uh, against a pretty darn good Seattle team. So you talk about a team trying to peak at the right time, getting healthy at the right time. And, you know, we're also going to snicker too, JT, about, you know, did Vegas do anything with the cap, with the Mark Stone situation? That long-term injury option is there for every team to use. So I don't want to hear it because we heard about Kucherov a couple of years ago in Tampa. Long story short here, they're doing everything by the rules. Vegas looks like a legit threat out west. You know, Zig, we go back so long, and we're both hockey guys. I grew up with the Islander dynasty, you with the Bruins. And I think of this again, Vegas is very fortunate not to play in the east. Not that they couldn't go far, but... With Tampa Bay, the Devils, Carolina, and obviously Boston having the most points in the history of the league, I think the big break for Vegas out here is there's still good teams. Edmonton's very good, and L.A., and whatever comes with Colorado again, but it's nowhere near as tough as the East. What's it going to be like for a team to even be close to knocking off Boston? Well, I mean, in the East, it's a battle royal. You would appreciate this, obviously, being a New York guy. You know, the Devils and the Rangers are going to cancel each other out in the first round. I mean, both of those teams are capable of making runs. Um, I, I think in, in terms of teams trying to maybe knock out Boston, Florida may give them a challenge, JT, because they are fast. They play a very good transition game. Now, their defensive style doesn't bode well for them uh, in terms of the playoffs. So, I think Boston's got them there. I think the only thing that could come up, uh, even with injuries, because the Bruins seem to have good depth right there, it's one of those things if somehow they lose focus or somehow they they rest on what they did throughout this regular season, I think complacency and or injuries, JT, might be the only thing that could stop Boston. But you're right, out west, it's more manageable, although Edmonton looks very, very good at this time. Zig Fricasi joins us. In the last few minutes, you do great work on NFL radio. Raiders have the seventh pick overall, and I'm not a believer that Levis and even Richardson are early first-round talent. They're going to go. I know they're going to go, but I I thought they'd be mid-first round and maybe second, and Hooker could go in the third. Now I see some mock drafts have been heading in Hooker going in the first round, so there could be five. What's your take, Zig, on all the quarterbacks? As everybody has Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud 1-1-A for those first two picks, do you think the Raiders at seven would park a quarterback behind Jimmy G when they have all this work they have to do on defense? Yeah, you know, that that's a really good question, J.T. And, uh, and my hunch is, um, and even those the, the two guys you mentioned first are probably stretches to me anyway to be day one starters, although I think they have the bigger upside. Young, obviously, because of his 
acumen and the Alabama background. And I think C.J. Stroud is probably the most physically, or um, next to Richardson, probably the most physically gifted. But to me, I see the latter two, Richardson. I, I see a project there. I don't know if I would go Jamarcus Russell-type comparison, but I do see uh, quite a project there. Um, and I think, as you said, the Raiders definitely have uh, a ton of needs on defense. Levis I like quite a bit, especially what he's been able to do at Kentucky after transferring uh, from Penn State. I think he's got the best arm of the bunch. But at number seven, unless I traded down and stockpiled some picks, JT, they got bigger needs to me other than quarterback at this particular time. So to me, I'd be going need if I'm the Raiders. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. You'll be on the radio, of course. You, we, we both come from, if you give us a shift, we will take your radio shift. What do you got coming into the weekend? <laughs> uh, we got uh, with good friend Alex Marvez, of course. So we'll be doing the end zone tomorrow, 2 to 6 Eastern, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern on uh, Saturday and Sunday on Channel 88 and the SXM app. A lot of talk, obviously, about the upcoming draft. Probably have some uh, draft-eligible interviews coming on. Uh, and obviously the update, too, with the situation involving Washington where maybe we finally have some closure in the uh, Daniel Snyder uh, fiasco that is the commander's ownership situation. You know, right behind where we used to get our uh, turkey dinner, our Thanksgiving turkey dinner at Ellis Island, they topped off the paddock for F1. Wait till you come back to Vegas and see what they're doing <laughs> with this F1. Just Google F1 Vegas. They're ripping up the strip now, paving the strip. They're going to do it twice. They built this paddock for 10 years, which is just beyond anything you've seen other than the stadium and the sphere that's opening. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you out here again, Zig. A lot's changed in you, you and I when you came to my wedding back in the day at the Monte Carlo. I need to tour you around here again. God, I may need a tutorial on who better to do that than Mr. Vegas, GT the Brick. Take care, buddy. There he is. All right, uh, brother. That's Zig Fricasi, and we have him on a couple times a year. Part of the Sports Fan Radio Network alumni team. Uh, a lot of us still out there. Dave Koch and Steve Cofield, uh, Sarin Petro going around, uh, all the individuals who worked at Sports Fan Radio Network in the 90s. And today's an interesting day for me. Today's a milestone on this date, April 14th, 1995. Today, I won the first ever Jim Ro Rome Smackoff. On April 14th, 1995, I won the smack-off, the, the first to ever do it. And Jim's still doing the smack-off, and there's new winners out there, and people, I always thank them, always thank them on this day. Back then it was Good Friday, but Good Friday was last Friday, but the calendar changes, April 14th. All right, we'll get you in here before the top of the hour if you want to fly in, or I'll go big second hour, and thank you for listening. It's Friday, brought to you by Modelo. The bucket of Modelos are going on ice at one. They'll be ready by two. As far as the team, I just ready to bring leadership. I've been out for. A long time I had to sit there and watch everyone else play. And I'm just excited to get back on the field, you know, and it's good to be where you're wanted. And, you know, like we said, we've had communication since last October. And, you know, you guys showed me that you wanted me to be here and that I was going to be a very big piece uh, to this organization. So I'm definitely excited about that.
That's Odell Beckham Jr. That's a pretty good soundbite. I and mean, that's really what the Raiders have to do and everybody has to do, recruit. But they overpaid for him. And I think part of the overpayment by the Ravens for OBJ was to try to convince Lamar Jackson to play on $34 million instead of $200 million. I think that's the big picture going forward is that Odell Beckham Jr. is going to make 15 guaranteed. Most likely he'll make that. But the issue is they don't have to pay Lamar Jackson. They're never going to give Lamar Jackson a fully guaranteed $200 million contract. Lamar Jackson knows that. Odell Beckham Jr. knows it. Everybody does. So maybe this is an olive branch. Uh, I think we got something cool next hour for you. Foster Moreau, Raiders tight end, former Raiders tight end, uh, came down with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was going through his physical at New Orleans. So I'll tell you the story coming up. My wife uh, was heading out of town today, and we were watching Good Morning America this morning as she was getting ready, and they, Michael Strahan interviewed him, and it was very inspiring. I'm going to play that. It's about four or five minutes. Next hour, if you didn't get a chance to see it, I put it out on my Twitter feed at JT the Brick. It was very inspiring. This week was a really inspiring week for me. I spent time with Mike Diamond, a motivational speaker, went to his book signing, and did a podcast with him. Please download that podcast if you can. I think it'll save lives it might save one life someone who needs to get sober someone who needs help in their personal life it's a jt and looney our latest podcast wherever you got it mike diamond master motivator author reality star and this foster moreau a conversation that we're going to play next hour at some time bobby's going to fit it into the show it's really good and it was because he got that physical and they found out they found they found a lump in his in his throat i think or they found a lump in his neck and turned out they got it and it was stage two instead of stage three or four. And Michael Strahan had a really good conversation with him. And it was also a good week when we come back for next hour. Reggie Jackson, I'm putting together this project with him on the side, which I'm excited about it. And then I'm prepping for the NFL draft, which is coming up here. I love that show with Lincoln Kennedy and Eric Allen. And it's going to be a special one for me and Eric Allen because Eric's one of the great cornerbacks. 56 total interceptions. He should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think the Raiders' needs at cornerback are going to be big. So how cool would it be if the Raiders end up getting a cornerback and they're able to set him up on the radio with Eric Allen at some point to talk about that and mentor him along the way? You know, Freddie Bolitnikoff mentors Hunter, and you see Marcus Allen with Josh Jacobs. I think more of the Raider players are younger. They get younger and younger as we get older and older, and some of these younger players need to mentor with the great Raiders who are around. Lester Hayes is always around, and so is Mike Haynes. If you're a cornerback with the Raiders and you're Nate Hobbs, I connected Nate at the Super Bowl with Willie Brown's daughter. They had a great conversation. Now hopefully Nate Hobbs reaches out to Mike Haynes and Lester Hayes and the great cornerbacks to play for this organization who are vibrant and got a lot to give back. Also, Fred Bolitnikoff, want to mention his golf tournament coming up on April 24th, is going to be a big one there. So exciting news. Also, the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. As we get into May, they announced their new class. We, on this show, get the exclusives to interview them first. Uh, That's the best Hall of Fame in all of Nevada, especially here in Vegas. And that's part of our project coming up in May. Also, Coaches versus Cancer, as we'll be working with Lon Kruger for their big event coming up here in Vegas. So that's about it for this hour. Coming up next hour, we're going to dive into Foster Moreau. Also, my opinion on the Golden Knights. Oh, I went to the Aviators last night. $2 $2 beer night. That was a lot of fun. Thanks to Jim Gemma and the staff over there. What a cool time at the Aviators game. If you got a kid or multiple kids, bring them out to the game so they can run the bases this weekend at the best ballpark in all of baseball. Hour number two is next.